Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to continue our series. We've been walking through this entire month of December as we are approaching Christmas and looking at the words or the names that were given to Jesus in a prophecy written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even walked on the earth. And these names are not explicit, like specific names, but they're more names that define the character of the person that is to come. He is defined as a king, a ruler. In the book of Isaiah, he is also defined as a servant. (laughs) Very contrasting ideas, right? A king and a servant, how exactly does that work? Well, we see that laid out in the prophecies that Isaiah lays in, in most of his book for the coming Messiah, the person of Jesus. And over the last couple of weeks, we looked at some of these names in Isaiah 9. Let's go ahead and read it. Uh, we've read it every week. We'll read it again this week. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is verse 7. And on the throne of David and over the kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see these names given in this prophecy in Isaiah. And as we have looked over the last couple weeks, we we started with wonderful counselor. The fact that this coming child, this king, would be one who steps in the gap, right? If you remember, he is a mediator, he's an advocate for us. And it's important that we understand this element that this child, this child would be in complete human form, just like me and you, but he's also divine. And this is a unique character trait of this individual because it allows him to bridge the gap if you will of a holy righteous awesome God and a broken hopeless needful people humanity so we saw that Jesus is defined as this wonderful counselor and last week Carson did a fantastic job walking us through mighty God right this aspect of a warrior who comes and defends the weak, who, who fights for his people, 
right? I mean, what a cool story to see in the person of Jesus. And you may have never even considered Jesus as a mighty God, a God who comes to do battle for you and for me. And we see laid out in that text where Jesus came and did battle, and that battle that we see is the cross. He has the battle wounds. He has the scars, the remnants of war, if you will. You can see this in the illustration of what happens. It's in his hands, the piercing of the nails, in his feet, in his side, in his back, and even on his head where they place the crown of thorns on his head. He has those wounds. He did battle. He went to war. And of course, the battle that he won, the victory that he had, is over sin and death. He was able to, even though the devil may have thought he won, as they laid him to rest in that tomb, we see the final victory of Jesus' battle when he comes out of the grave, conquering sin and death. Wow, what a great picture of who Jesus is. And today, we're going to walk through the next name given to Jesus, which is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now, i got to address the elephant in the room. You're like, what elephant? I don't see any elephants. I'm not on drugs right? The elephant in the room is this, and I just got to be straight with you. When we start talking about fathers, the reality is not everybody understands what a good, godly father is, right? It's just, I was looking at some statistics of this very thing in our own country, and it's profound when you really look at some of the numbers associated with Children that don't have dads in their life. I'm not just talking biological or stepfathers or adoptive fathers. I'm talking about children that have no fathers at all in the United States. This was a survey done by the U.S. Census in 2023. 17.8 million children in the United States have no idea of what a father figure looks like because they have no father figure in their life. Not just their biological dad, but they don't have stepdads in their life. They don't have adoptive dads in their life. They have no concept. The statistic goes on and shows that that number is one in four children. Take a minute and just take a minute and think that and let that settle in for a minute. One in four children have no idea of what a dad even looks like, humanly speaking. Then you have the other three out of four who maybe their dads weren't so great. Maybe they were in their life. Maybe there was a stepdad or there was an adoptive dad. And maybe those were great dads and awesome dads. Maybe they weren't. And so the elephant in the room is, I don't know what kind of earthly dad any one of you have, but the statistics show that it's highly probable that not every single person in this room have a grasp or a good understanding of what a good godly heavenly father looks like and so when the subject of dads come in or fathers come in it could be a sore spot for you i mean let's take a look at the world's perspective of what a good dad looks like just watch television most of those dads are either dumb i'm just thinking of homer simpson All they care about is their beer. 
I'm just, I'm just saying, this is the perspective the world has. I'm just, you can pick anyone. You just watch television long enough, and you'll see if there is even a dad in the picture, they're most often portrayed in a negative, demeaning, lower position than anything else. And here we have this name given to Jesus, Everlasting Father. So the elephant in the room is you may have to come face to face with some of the things you've experienced in your life. Whether that was a great dad, and I pray and hope that every single person in this room truly has experienced what a good earthly father looks like. But if you haven't, I love that this is given to us in the scripture where we can go to the word of God and we can look into the scripture and we can see what the scripture tells us is in fact a good, godly father. And we can look at the character traits that are attributed to God the Father, and we can see them exampled in the Son. How many of you will relate to this? If you have children, early, when the kids, I would say between the ages of one to five, it's really cute to see how your kids reflect you, right? It's like, oh, that's my trait. I see me in that child. Oh, that's you, you know, my wife Liz. That's you, Liz. They, they totally look just like you, or they act just like you. Then they get older, and then you see some of the bad traits, and you're like, oh, man. I can't blame you for that one. That's me. <laughs> right? That's the reality. And so as parents, we see ourselves in our children often. And as children, if you, if you haven't had children, this is also a reality. As you grow older, and you get older, you start going, oh, man. I'm doing the same thing my mom and dad did, <laughs> right? Isn't this true, right? It doesn't really matter. At some point, there's this cognitive recognition of the fact that, oh my goodness, I'm just like my parents, or I see myself in my children. It's not really any different for this name given to Jesus. The father's character and behavior is reflected in his son, and the son reflects his father's character perfectly. So one of the things that we have to look at and we really have to examine as we walk through this is understanding. And there are many different characters that we could pick. I've picked about three, maybe four. Four different characters that we will identify in the person of Jesus that Jesus understood, hey, this is my identity. This is who I am reflecting. And we'll look at those key characters and really learn how to apply them to our life. The first thing we see is that Jesus understood who the source of his identity was. He was never himself in the sense that he was only reflecting his own agenda, though he did his own things. He recognized and understood that he was there, he was here on this earth to reflect the character and behavior of his father. We can see this in John chapter 1. In fact, we see this at the very beginning. That name, Everlasting Father. While I'm going to focus predominantly on the Father, when we look at the identity, you're going to see the everlasting tie right into it. John chapter 1, in the very first chapter, the very first verse of the Gospel of John, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. There's the everlasting part, right? This identifies the fact that Jesus, in fact, carries this identity of being in existence forever. 
Before the world was formed, Jesus existed. And guess what? He will come again as the second coming on a horse as a mighty, mighty king. John 1, as we walk through this, he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What we see here is Jesus' identity is directly linked to God the Father. If you go a couple verses further down in John 1, in verse 14, we see that this very word was made flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory, look at this, as of the only Son from the Father. Here Jesus understood very early in his ministry that he was there to reflect the glory of the Father. Full of grace and truth. You can skip verse 15. It's more about John the baptizer, but in verse 16, the description of who Jesus is continues. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the the law was given through Moses, grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, that is the Father. And the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What is this saying? The gospel really clearly articulates that no one has seen the Father. But the way to see the Father, the way the Father is made known, is through this man, the Word of God, who comes to reflect the very character and behavior of his own Father. So we see the Father through the Son. In fact, in Isaiah, if we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, as we are walking through the Christmas season, this was written close to 700 years before Jesus was even born. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, there is this prophecy given of the person of Jesus. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Now maybe you know what Emmanuel means, maybe you don't. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. The Father with us, in a sense. Through his Son, we identify and see his character and his behavior. So the question comes, as we walk through this, even in, in Colossians in the New Testament, Paul articulates this very idea of Jesus reflecting his Father. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, it says of Jesus, he is the image of he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image. That means that's how we see an invisible God. That's how we see the invisible Father is by looking at his firstborn son, his, his creation, his son who reflects his character and his behavior perfectly. Now we are flawed beings as parents. So we can see the good aspects of our children and we can see the bad. 
we are really upset when we see the bad. Listen, how many of you had, have told your children multiple times over and over again, hey, don't do that. I'm telling you, don't do that. It's not wise. Don't do that. I've walked that road before. Don't do it. And you're like, ah, oh, man, they're going to have to learn the hard way. We don't see that with God the Father and his Son because they are perfect deities of beings. Jesus perfectly reflects his Father's character, his righteousness, his goodness, his fatherly attributes, if you will. Jesus also reflects them. So let's take a look, just real quick, and see some of these character traits. One of the first character traits that I think we see of the Father, before anything else, is this aspect of provision. In fact, I want to read a text in Matthew, if you will allow me. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says these words. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then he goes on and he says this, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Again, we see this laid out in Scripture multiple times. How do we know who the Father is? We know who the Father is by understanding and knowing who the Son is. But listen to what he continues to say in that same chapter, beginning in verse 28. We start to see some of the character traits, if you will, of a Father that Jesus reflects. Jesus says this in verse 28. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a powerful description of the character of the Father and the Son. You see, one of the things we see is this plea, this calling, come to me, right? The Father pleads with humanity and say, hey, I want you to come back to me. I want to have our relationship restored. I want the problems that have been made known, the the sin of humanity against a righteous and holy God, I want them to be fixed. This is the whole idea behind the book of Isaiah. They're walking. The nation of Israel has absolutely rejected God, the Father, denied Him, in every way, shape, and form, rejected Him. Yet God is pleading and desiring that His people would come back to Him. Here we see Jesus saying, come to me. All who are labored and heavy laden. He promises a provision This is one of the characters we're going to examine this morning, this aspect of the character of provision that comes from a good, godly father. When you're tired and you're exhausted, a good, godly father doesn't say, suck it up, go finish it. Here, the promise that Jesus is reflecting is, hey, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're beat down and you can't go any further, he says, come to me, I'll give you rest. 
This is the same character of a good, godly father. As he continues, he says this, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Hey, I've got good instructions for your life. I've got instructions for your life that are going to help you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to speak the truth to you. Come learn from me. This is what we would see in a good dad. We examine it in our own lives. Man, how many times have I heard this? Oh, I wish I would have learned this before now. It doesn't matter what your age is. I've even said it myself. Man, I wish I knew this information long before now. If I had it when I was younger, right? We've heard, we hear it in school. How to write checks in a checkbook. Man, I wish I knew how to do that before I actually had to write one. I wish they would have taught me this in school. Maybe you learned it, maybe you didn't. This whole idea of, of learning and being instructed and being guided and being taught is a, is a character trait that comes from a good father. And Jesus tells us, hey, come and learn from me. And then the last thing we see here in this title, in this passage, is this aspect of his character being gentle. Being gentle. And of a lowly heart. I would even put in there, loving. Right? When you have a father who is gentle, and is kind and compassionate and caring. And he brings you in and he says, hey man, it's okay. You're all right. That's, that's comforting. That's encouraging. That's uplifting. And we see this character. So let's walk through this real quickly as we look at some of these character traits that are identified. First and foremost, this character of provision. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, we see the nation of Israel... Again, in their heart, rejecting God, but we also see the character of God, the Father, being identified as one who provides. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, there is a conversation, a dialogue that happens between the people of Israel and the Father. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. This is, of course, speaking of the nation of Israel as they are about to enter into the promised land, and they have sent their 12 spies in there, and they heard the report back, hey, they're giant. The, the cities are way too fortified. There's no way. And so the people's response is they're overwhelmed with dread and fear of what is being laid out before them. And here Jesus responds. Verse 29 this is his response. The father responds. Then I say to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. And I want you to see this next line because it gives you a great picture of a good, godly father, the character of our father in heaven. Look at what he says. And just as a man carries his son all the way that you, have, that you went until you came to this place. What, what the father is saying is, hey, listen, people of Israel, I have carried you through this battle. I've carried you from Egypt all the way through 
through the wilderness to the place where you are now standing to the promise that I have given you. I am going before you to fight these battles, just as we learned about the mighty God. I'm there. I'm carrying you. I've got you. We see this aspect of God providing and protecting in a way. His character. He carries them. I don't know if you've ever been hiking. When we lived down south, we were really close, maybe 30 minutes from the mountains. And one of the things as a family we enjoyed to do was to go hike these different trails. Some are tough. You know, the incline's a little steeper. It's not as gradual. And so Isabella, being the youngest of my girls, sometimes needed help. And this is what came to my mind as I thought of this. I would throw her on my back, she would grab on, and I would just hang on, and we would hike with her on my back. I'm carrying her. And this is what I see. Sometimes when the battle's too hard, when the the grade of the hill's too tough, we have a God, a good Father, who recognizes in our tiredness, in our exhaustion, that He will come and carry us. How many of you know the poem, Footprints? It's such a powerful poem. The poem talks about this aspect of, you know, I only see one set of footprints, and the, the writer of the poem thinks it's his footprints. And the reality is it's God carrying the person. That's why there's not two footprints. The person thinks God's abandoned him, left him. And the reality is, is God has been carrying him. As we look at this character trait and we compare it to who Jesus is, I would encourage you, we're not going to read it, but I would encourage you to read Psalms 23. It's a very famous psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. You'll see a lot of fatherly character traits in that poem. But when we start to look at Jesus reflecting this character, I cannot help but be drawn to John 14. John 14, verse 23, Jesus has this conversation. He answers, and he says this, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Again, we see Jesus' identity in his Father. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, we see in Jesus' very own, this is just as he's about to leave. The disciples are actually experiencing very much what the people of Israel were experiencing. The people of Israel were scared to death. The battle, the hurdle that they were about to walk through was giant. And here, the disciples, Jesus has given them the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize people, teach them all that I have commanded you to do. Imagine 12 people being commissioned to go into all the world. We know it was more than 12, but the 12 disciples being commissioned to go into all the world. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. You guys got this. Can you imagine their fear? Their anxiety, they're like, all the world? Are you kidding me? I mean, if we've had that same thing commanded to us, and there's probably, I don't know, 60 to 80 people in this room. And that was our commission. And it is our commission. But that was our commission. Hey, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. 
We'd be freaked out just to do that in this community of Flushing, let alone the entire world. Here are these guys who have been given this commission, and Jesus is telling them, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. But he doesn't just leave them on their own. He provides one of the greatest gifts of ever, and that's the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Father provided a way and went before him, we see Jesus also providing a way for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Paul, Paul in Romans speaks a little bit more of this as we walk through this aspect of provision. Paul says it like this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. See, Jesus didn't just provide the Holy Spirit, though that is a promise that he has provided to us. As Paul continues into this passage, we see the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus actually provided for us, his people. I want you to see this. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, while we still needed to be carried when we were exhausted and tired, while we were still weak, he says this, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and that's you. Verse 7, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ provided a path of reconciliation for us, a way to be restored to the Father. In fact, Paul speaks of this. If you'll jump down with me, I'll just read it from verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Man, just listen to those words. Read those words. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, listen, I provided a way. I went before you because you were too weak. You weren't able to. You were laden with burdens. You were too heavily weighted down with sin. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to reflect the character of my Father and provide a way for you. And he did this through the cross. Because Jesus reflects the good natures, the good characters of a good Father. When it comes to the aspect of the character of instruction, we saw that in Matthew 11 where he says, learn of me, learn of me. This character of instruction. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see this recorded for us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then look at what he tells the parents to do. This is God saying, hey, this is what a good father does. This is what good parenting looks like. Verse 7. You shall teach them the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall, you shall talk to them, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're eating, when you're sitting down, when you're lounging, and when you walk by the way, when you're going to the grocery store, when you're walking to school, when you're in the car traveling. And when you lie down as you go to sleep, and when you rise, first thing in the morning. See, this is, this is the Lord, the Father, teaching his children, the people of Israel, as well as us, to understand that the good Father is not afraid to instruct his children in the things of God. A good Father says, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what the truth is. I'm going to screw up, I'm going to make mistakes, but I want you to know the truth. And that is the design that God has laid out. In fact, we see this in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. That way is the word of God. And he will not depart from it when he gets older. Paul speaks of this as well. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I know, that's a tough one. I struggled with that one as a kid myself. But it's instructed in the word of God that we are to obey our parents. In the same way, when we are considered children of God and we hear his instruction, we are called to obey his instructions. But look at what it continues to say. Uh, I'll skip verse 2. This is speaking of the promise that comes with obedience and honoring your father and mother. Verse 3, as well, it says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's part of the promise that goes with obeying your parents. Children, there is a promise in it. But then look at verse 4. There is a command given, fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Going back to that passage in Deuteronomy 6, man, we spend a lot of time in front of television. Now, I'm guilty of this myself, right? And as parents, we're called to instruct the way the Father, the good Father instructs in the Word of the Lord. When we wake up in the morning, it should be something we're not afraid to talk about with our kids. When we're going to the grocery store and we're engaging in life and we're doing things, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about the Word of God and how it applies to our life, to our children. When we're eating at the dinner table, hopefully we are having at least some meals around the dinner table with our families, and we're having the conversations about God's Word and what it means to us as parents, so that our children are learning the truth of the Word of God, not just in word, but in our actions. You see, God the Father is good at this. He doesn't just tell us how we are to behave. He acts it out for us. He demonstrates it for us. He doesn't say... Do as I say, not as I do. This is convicting. I'm not trying to beat parents up, nor am I trying to beat dads up. But if we don't understand and have a good grasp of what a good, godly father looks like, 
And when we start digging into the Word of God and we see what His instructions are for us as parents, because He wants us to mimic and reflect Him, we see that He is very good at instructing and teaching and disciplining. Disciplining isn't necessarily a bad word. Discipline just simply means to train a child, to help them understand the good things of God. As we walk through this passage, I want to show you what Jesus taught. I want to show you the words that Jesus taught, because remember, Jesus is a direct reflection of the Father. We want to know the Father and His goodness and His instructions. Let's listen to what Jesus said. Beginning in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to this woman, this woman is Mary, just to give you some backstory, Lazarus has died. Mary comes running to Jesus, and she is sad and weeping that her brother has died. And Jesus says these words to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes me, believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I love this question that he confronts Mary with. And quite frankly, it's a question that we all need to be confronted with. He asks Mary, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Mary's response, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What is she saying? You can go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the one that the prophets spoke of, that you are truly the Son of God, this child that is coming into the world to help us, to be a mighty counselor, to be a mighty God, to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, to be this picture and this understanding of what a good father looks like. She said, I believe. The reality, the hard question in that is, do we actually believe? In another passage of John, Jesus teaches Thomas some important things. Again, this is when Thomas is trying to figure out understanding what is going on with Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Lord, I got no clue what's going on. I'm lost. I need some instruction. I need some help here. I don't know what's happening. Jesus says to Thomas, these wonderful words, he says to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Look at these next words. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is Jesus saying? Listen, you want to know the Father? You want to know the plan? You want to know the instructions? Come to me. Look at me. I reflect his character perfectly. I reflect his behavior perfectly. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, Jesus affirms, you do know him and you have seen him. There's another passage in John. If you go backwards to John chapter 5, 
says this, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, that is the person who believes and hears the word and the instruction of God, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. What is that saying? Just as the Father had power to give life to Adam in the garden, so does Jesus have power to give life to us who are dead in our sins. They're one and the same in the sense that they have equal power. God gave all of his authority to the Son. We see this recorded back in Isaiah chapter 9 when he says, the government's authority will rest on his shoulders. Jesus was given that authority to give life to those who are dead in their sins, who need help, who are exhausted from the life of sin, who need hope. He continues, verse 27, and we see this affirmed again. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus says these words, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. You have a choice of one of two paths. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is not saying that if your good deeds outweigh your bad, you're getting into heaven. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about following the instructions written for us in God's word. And the instructions to eternity is clearly laid out in several of the passages we've already walked through. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son of Jesus that he is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. That he comes as a man in human form, but he is also 100% divine. He came not to just walk the earth and see what humanity was like, but he came to bridge that gap between a broken, hopeless humanity and an everlasting father to bring them back together in relationship and reconciliation. I know when we started this message this morning, I addressed the elephant in the room. And I don't know what your earthly father relationship is like. But my hope is this morning that you would see a good, godly father who loves you and cares for you. This is the last character trait, I think one of the greatest character traits. The love of a father. I'll go through this fairly quickly. I just have a couple of texts I want to read to you. Psalms 103, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is is his, this is speaking of the Father, his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And I want you to see this. 
As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. See, Psalms 103 speaks of the love of the Father. So does Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. I want you to see this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lamb in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. You see this character of a good shepherd, this caring shepherd of his flock. It's the same character that falls to a father who picks up his child and carries him through the hard things. Psalms 145, I'm just going to read verses 8 through 13. 8 through through 13. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom, that your kingdom is, in fact, an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And here's the line that I really want you to pay attention to. The Lord is faithful in all of his words, in all of his instructions, and kind in all of his works, his deeds, his actions, show his character of kindness. In fact, in just a few short verses beyond this, in verse 17 of the same chapter of Psalms 145, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The character of a good father. When you are desperate, when you are broken, when you need somebody to come and save you and help you, he's not the kind of dad that's going to abandon you and leave you. When you call on him and you ask him to come to you, come to me. When you ask him, James says it like this, Flee the the devil, resist the devil, draw near to God. As you're walking to God, what does God do? He comes running to you. This is exampled in the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. I love it because I relate to it so well. As that son has chosen and rejected his father's love, and he did his own thing, he starts to realize how stupid and foolish that was. And what does he do? He starts walking back towards his dad, and his dad is eagerly waiting on the porch, if you will looking, and he sees the son afar off. He doesn't wait till the son gets to his doorstep and walks in humility. The father chases after his son and goes to his son and says, son, I've missed you. I wanted you back. Please, oh man, let's go. This is the promise of the character of God that we have, and we see it exampled in the person of Jesus. John chapter 15, I'm just going to read one verse. John chapter 15, verse 13. 
Jesus says this, greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. This is the greatest act of love. And Jesus reflects his father's love perfectly and that he laid his life down on the cross for me and for you. And I understand that sometimes when we think of our earthly fathers, we have the skewed view of what a father looks like. But when we start digging into God's word, we see this awesome person, this amazing, everlasting father that is reflected in the person of Jesus. So today, as we conclude, my question is simply this. Will you see the good father through Jesus? Will you see Jesus' character of provision from the cross? Will you see his character of instruction as he walked this earth and gave instructions through the gospel and his word? Will you look at it and will you see it and believe it? And will you receive his love that he so generously offers to every single one of us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example that we have to look at in our own life. Lord, to see, to see your provision in our life, to see your instructions for our life. And Lord, that we can come to you and see what genuine, true love looks like. Lord, we are so grateful. Be with us this morning. Be with us the rest of the week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.